I'm JG Michael, and this is Parallax Views. Hello, this is Mike Swanson. In a few moments, you're going to listen to another segment of Parallax Views. But before you do that, let me tell you about my new book, Why the Vietnam War. It's a sequel to my previous book called The War State, which has lots of positive reviews and Amazon's been out for years. But this one is a more detailed case study of how American Empire National Security State operate using Vietnam. And I believe it shows also how things work today, how policy is actually made and why. So grab the book on Amazon.com, Why the Vietnam War. Hey there, Parallaxies listeners. On this edition of the program, we continue our coverage of Israel, Palestine, Gaza, and related topics, this time with returning guest James Bamford, one of the most noted journalists on issues related to the National Security Agency, the Iraq War, espionage, and more. His latest book is Spy Fail. Foreign Spies, Moles, Saboteurs, and the Collapse of America's Counterintelligence. He joins us on this edition of the program to discuss his recent piece in The Nation magazine entitled Why Israel Slept, which deals with the October 7th intelligence failure and the Sheldon Adelson-backed covert operation Project Butterfly. It's really fascinating stuff, folks. You're not going to want to miss this episode. So with that being said, let's get right to it with James Bamford. Welcome back to Parallax Views, a guest that I've long admired. Uh, I've been reading him for many years now. And he has done such invaluable work on uh, a number of topics related to the national security state. And his latest book is Spy Phil, Foreign Spies, Moles, Saboteurs, and the Collapse of America's Counterintelligence. He recently wrote an article about uh, Israel and why it slept on October 7th. What led to the intelligence failure? that allowed Hamas to stage its brutal surprise attack. And he has a very interesting take on this involving involving, uh, Sheldon Adelson, the late Sheldon Adelson. Uh, If you could, uh, James, how are you doing? And maybe you could take us through uh, this story that you wrote and how it begins the Venetian Adelson's Las Vegas resort. Well, the... uh article focused on the fact that Israel, uh, their intelligence uh, completely blew it when it came to finding out about Hamas. And one of the reasons was uh, that uh, they were overconfident that their uh, military could just keep the uh, Gaza uh, uh, activists quiet whenever they wanted to. It was called mowing the grass. Whenever there was some uprising, they would send in a uh, uh, military force to put it down, and and that would happen regularly, and uh, and so they weren't really paying much attention to it. They were thinking that, okay, everything is calm. Um, so that gave uh, the Israeli government uh, Netanyahu uh, time to work on another project, and that was to uh, target another group, which was the uh, the boycott group. BDS, uh, the the pro-Palestinian boycott group that uh, wants boycotts, uh, um, sanctions, and uh, uh, divestment from uh, from Israel, um, which were quite active in the United States and growing. So what uh, Netanyahu did was form a, a small group uh, to target uh, pro. Palestinian activists in the United States, especially the BDS group. Um, uh, And what he needed was some funding for it. So uh, what happened was in 2015, I think it was 2015, 2016, um, uh, he set up this meeting uh, through um, Adelson, uh, Sheldon Adelson, who's a multi-billionaire and owns uh, 
the Venetian Hotel in Las Vegas. So uh, Adelson had a group of uh, very, very wealthy uh, pro-Israeli uh, people fly to Las Vegas, and they met secretly in a back room in the hotel, a com back conference room. Um, and they uh, sat there while Adelson got on the stage and read a letter uh, from uh, from. Netanyahu that was addressed to the group. And it was uh, basically saying, uh, we're going to form a, uh, a task force to take action against these anti-Israeli uh, pro-Palestinian supporters in the United States, and we need money for that. So will you kick in money to help this secret uh, task force uh, take action? And they did. Uh, that night, they came up with about $50,000, and uh, I mean, $50 million. And uh, uh, then the Israeli government put in a lot more money, about uh, equal that, and then they added more later on. So you're having millions and millions, tens of millions of dollars uh, going to what uh, the um, Netanyahu government set up uh, as a task force, secret task force in the United States to um, take action uh, against uh, covert action against a uh, uh, a group of Americans, primarily students and, and other supporters of, of Palestine. And what he, he turned to was this uh, group uh, called Psy Group. It's a psychological warfare group. Th this came Israel. up in the... Uh... The Russiagate investigations, this group, yes, group exactly, right? because they tried to uh, uh, offer their services to Trump to do uh, secret uh, uh, manipulation of the voters uh, on behalf of Trump. But they wanted uh, uh, millions and millions of dollars, and uh, uh, they actually submitted a, a program, a very uh, outrageous program called Operation Rome, uh, that was uh, going to be manipulating the the vote uh, 2016 vote in favor of Trump because of the price Trump uh, Trump's people decided not to do it, but they did go ahead with this uh, thing. It was called this one was called Project Butterfly, and what it involved was sending uh, uh, this group of. Uh, uh, from Psy Group, this group of psychological warfare people, covert covertly to the United States, and uh, they, the, the actual um, uh, operational order leaked out, and what it said was that uh, uh, what we are planning to do and what we are doing is uh, we're planning to damage the target's standing reputation. Uh, cancel or disrupt uh, events they're having, um, charges of persecution uh, against them uh, online, uh, commencing and uh, starting investigations of them, launching lawsuits against them, uh, uh, commencing media coverage uh, against them, and all this hidden from uh, view in terms of connections to Israel. So. So that's pretty much what uh, uh, what their plan was, and they went ahead with it. And they sent a report saying, "Where we accomplished this? We uh, tar targeted this pro-Palestinian person. We put flyers on uh, on his uh, uh, cars in his neighborhood, calling him a terrorist, and so forth." So all this is being done, and the FBI is turning, you know, not looking at it. These are agents of a foreign power coming to the United States, and uh, launching a psychological war against uh, American citizens. So, um, you know, it was outrageous, but that's uh, what was going on. In regards to some of the players involved with this, there's former uh, Mossad officials involved with this uh, Project Butterfly. Can you, uh, who are the players involved and what are some other details my listeners should know about to fully understand the scope of this project? And basically, the uh, the operation was totally secret. They they didn't release names of who the actual people in Psy Group was, but the uh, person that was in charge of the operation in Israel uh, was the minister 
of uh, uh, of strategic, uh, what was it, Miss, uh, the Minister of Strategic Affairs, um, and his name was Gilan uh, Erdan. Uh, not many people have heard of him, uh, at least at that time. It was very secretive. Their, their whole uh, offices were very secret. Um, it, it was sort of, it wasn't part of Mossad. It was a separate secret organization that was designed to target uh, pro-Palestinians uh, in the United States and elsewhere. Um, and uh, Gilan uh, Erdan now is the ambassador to the United States from Israel. So he got a big promotion. He actually became the ambassador to the U.S. and um, the United Nations. And uh, now he's uh, they have somebody else's ambassador to the U.S. And he's the current ambassador to um, uh, to the U.N. So uh, this was at a very, very high level. This wasn't some low level uh, operation. This was done. Uh, ordered by Netanyahu and um, his uh, uh, top uh, covert operator there, uh, Erdin. So um, that's pretty much the the extent of the names that were released. Because uh, again, this is all secret. Can you talk a little bit about uh, Israeli cyber shield and also uh, just the use of trolls and and what's been called a human botnet? Yeah, um, Operation uh, Butterfly uh, was just one aspect that was going out and, and targeting these individuals and, and, and uh, disrupting them uh, and, and so forth. So that was one aspect. Another aspect was um, this program called Israeli Cyber Shield. Um, and that was a uh, basically a very sophisticated intelligence uh, uh, program, uh, uh, sort of a uh, NSA-type program that was designed to um, uh, uh, get the names of all uh, the pro-Palestinian uh, students that were doing this, uh, targeting them. Um, they set up a, um, uh, a troll farm uh, based in Israel that was... Uh, that had thousands of uh, subscribers in the United States. And the whole idea was that they would hide their um, uh, links to the Israeli government and, and attack pro-Palestinian uh, students and, and uh, others who were uh, working for the pro-Palestinian causes. So um, the orders would come basically from the Israeli intelligence. They would go to the guy that ran the uh, troll farm and, Tel Aviv, and he would send out these uh, these messages to his troll farm in the United States. Uh, these people all over the United States, thousands of them, um, to say, attack this person, attack that person, uh, send this message saying uh, uh, you're being anti-Semitic or whatever. Uh, so this was all organized in Israel, and uh, they were using Americans to carry this out. So it's really outrageous. And again, this is not stuff I just came up with. I mean, right. this is not of, like a conspiracy theory. Yeah. This is all information that was released in, in uh, uh, Israel uh, through Haratz, which is uh, one of the leading newspapers in Israel. Uh, uh, there were several sources of this, uh, all this information. One was Haratz, uh, which is an extremely uh, well thought of newspaper in Israel. Another was the uh, uh, the Jewish magazine Forward. They had an enormous investigation of this. Uh, the New Yorker came out with information on. Uh, they actually published the uh, the operational order from uh, Operation Butterfly. So I mean, this is out there. It's just that it doesn't get picked up because uh, it it goes against the grain of what most of the uh, mainstream journalists are, are focused on. If you could, how does this tie into the bigger picture of, I guess, Israeli espionage? You know, there's other journalists that have covered this too, like uh, Jeff Stein from Newsweek. It seems like this is part of a much bigger picture. Well, it is. Uh, yeah, you, Jeff Stein was one of the few people who 
who actually got a, a number of FBI agents to talk to them and tell them that uh, they're frustrated, they're really angry that the fact that they know all this is going on. I mean, that's their job, counterintelligence. And they see it happening, uh, and they've uh, complained to Congress about it, but nothing ever gets done because they're not allowed to, uh, uh, basically not around, uh, allowed to create a um, uh, investigation involving Israel, even though this is a foreign government operating in the United States. As a matter of fact, that was what the Erdogan's uh, deputy uh, told a small group in the United States, we have to do this very secretly because we're a foreign uh, country operating in the United States. So uh, in other words, not to interrupt you, but in other words, this wasn't just uh, uh, about pragmatic concerns like, uh, oh, it, it'll look like bad PR. These are like illegal covert operations by a foreign state. Oh, exactly. I mean, there's no question that they're uh, uh, illegal um to call it's part of the u.s code um uh i've got the uh the actual code here um yeah it, it's operating as an agent in a foreign country i mean that's our uh, acting as an agent in the united states it's against the law uh and the way the law defines it is is if you're taking instructions or orders or commands or direction from uh, a foreign government. And that's exactly what was going on here. This was Netanyahu in a secret meeting in Las Vegas saying, this is what we're going to do. We need money. Uh, you know, give us your money so we can create this operation. Uh, so that was, uh, uh, there's no question that these people were secretly acting as agents of, of the government. Of the Israeli government, and the same when uh, the Israeli government would send out uh, uh, these um, uh, messages to the troll farm, saying, uh, "You know, hide the connection to Israel, but tell these people that uh, um, you know, call them names or accuse them of uh, of being terrorists or whatever." Um, those are the kind of thing, and this wasn't uh, just everybody. I mean, the, the troll farm directed their attention at Christian uh, churches, at uh, labor unions, and other groups. So, uh, anybody that was speaking out in favor of Palestinians was a was a target. Um, yeah, in terms of the FBI, uh, uh, one of the agents, I.C. Smith, uh, um, said dealing with the Israelis was uh, for those. Uh, assigned to that area, extremely frustrating. The Israelis were supremely confident that they had the clout, especially on the Hill, to basically get away with just about anything. Um, that was I.C. Smith, a, uh, a former top FBI counterintelligence officer. Another one said, uh, you catch them red-handed, and uh, they, shrug, they shrug and say, um, okay, now, anything else? Um, so... Uh, they're frustrated. It's not the agent level. Um, uh, the blame doesn't go to the level of the agents of the FBI. It's the people who are in charge of the FBI, the, the Justice Department uh, and the, the White House and Congress. In regards to, you know, Capitol Hill and, and this confidence that uh, the Israelis had clout on Capitol Hill, as, as I see Smith put it, how much do groups like APAC play into that sense of clout or, or other pro-Israel groups? Um, well, again, it's very secret. You don't know because, uh, you know, where's the, where's the major media investigation of this? Uh, um, you know, the, this all goes on at a, at a sub-level, whatever the connection is uh, between APAC, which raises money and then, uh, uh, tries to get pro-Israeli uh, candidates elected and so forth. Their, their uh, connections, the people that are part of APAC, are some of the same people who are, were part of this group that were meeting at the, uh, at the uh, Las Vegas hotel. Uh, it's not to say that APAC endorsed it or ran it, uh, but those are the things that need to be investigated. So, um, uh, you know, we just had... Um, uh, Frontline on NPR to an investigation of baseball. Uh, I, I haven't seen them do any investigation of uh, 
of uh, Israel in the in the last uh, couple of decades. Uh, so you know maybe there there's it's time to start looking into what uh, foreign countries are doing in this country, besides Russia, uh, which ended up turning up uh, no connections between Trump and the uh, and the Russian government. I know one of the pushbacks I'm going to get for this episode is, uh, you know, people saying, oh, why are you just picking on poor little Israel? But I feel like uh, Israel is one piece in a larger puzzle for me when it comes to uh, foreign agents and, you know, groups and individuals that should be registered under FERA but aren't. I mean, now we're having this investigation into uh, Mayor Eric Adams and, and possibly him getting uh, Turkish money. Is this part of a bigger problem with regards to um, foreign agents and Farah? Yeah, it's, a, it's an extremely big problem. And that was the, one of the reasons I wrote my latest book, Spy Fail. Uh, that's the whole subtitle of it. It's uh, foreign agents, moles, saboteurs in the United States and the collapse of U.S. counterintelligence. Uh, I wrote a lot about Israel in the book, uh, but that was only one part of it. I wrote about uh, Russia. I wrote about China. I wrote about uh, North Korea, uh, a lot of countries. Uh, and the problem is that the U.S. has a very poor record of uh, going after people who are stealing our secrets and uh, um, uh, spying on us and, and, and so forth. It's just uh, uh, outrageous. I mean, the, I have a whole book full of uh, examples. I mean, just to give you one example, um, um, you know, Edward Snowden walked out of NSA with uh, about a million pages of documents or whatever. I was one of the first people in Moscow to interview him for a cover story for Wired magazine. Um, uh, and then after that, NSA said, oh, they're they're uh, tightening up. There will be no more uh, uh, leaks of, you know, thousands or millions of documents or whatever. Well, just a year later or so, they arrested another guy who had walked out of NSA with uh, over uh, uh half a billion pages of classified documents. And nobody knew about it at the time. There was no security. Uh, he got away with it. Um, somebody else stole a, a three quarters of the NSA's cyber weapons that eventually got onto the internet and then uh, got into the hands of the North Koreans who attacked the United States and a lot of other countries with NSA's cyber weapons. Then it went to Russia who attacked uh, the Ukraine uh, with uh, those same NSA cyber weapons. So there's a lot of failures within the intelligence community in terms of protecting the United States public. Uh, Israel was one example. It's gotten a lot of news lately because of the war, but it's just one example. I also wanted to ask you, is there anything else you can add about uh, Sheldon Adelson? Because uh, he was a Republican mega donor, wasn't he? Well, he was the largest Republican mega donor. Yeah, he was the, or the biggest donor to, to Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, extremely close to Netanyahu. His, he has a newspaper in Israel um, uh, that uh, was always supporting uh, Netanyahu. Uh, it, was one of, it was the biggest supporter uh, in terms of the press. So uh, there's been a close connection. Uh, he's, he died a few years ago, but there was always a very close connection between, excuse me, Adelson and uh, and Netanyahu and the Israeli government. I also wanted to ask you, um, how far back does this issue of uh, Israeli espionage in the U.S. really go? Because this is not the first time we've uh, dealt with this issue. No, you know, there's the famous, of course, Jonathan Pollard spying case. How far back do you see this going? This, well, this I write, problem. Uh, yeah, I write uh, uh, quite a bit about it in in the in Spy Fail. Uh, I focus on uh, uh, you know the spying on the uh, nuclear materials. The uh, the Israelis were extremely aggressive in stealing uh, U.S. nuclear materials to help help them build a bomb. Yes, yeah, so that was one of the. There was uh, there was a great deal of. Uh, of highly enriched uh, uranium that was stolen from a uh, U.S. nuclear processing uh, site in in, uh, in Pennsylvania. Um, 
Uh, and then uh, uh, Arnon uh, Milshan, he's a very famous producer in Hollywood. Um, he He's an Israeli. Um, and he worked for the Israeli government for decades as uh, their, their top Israeli spy in the United States, focusing on... Uh, uh, nuclear materials, um, and he was allowed to get away with it. Um, they, through him, his agent, uh, who was an American, sent uh, uh, almost a thousand Krytons, which are basically the blasting caps for uh, for nuclear weapons. They're extremely um, uh, restricted, and uh, eventually, uh, the FBI uncovered the operation. His agent, who, like I said, was an American, ran uh, Milton's front company, uh, was arrested and faced 105 years in prison. Then he escaped the United States and hid out for about 20 years or 15 years. And then he came back and was arrested again and then put in jail. But nothing ever happened to Milton because he was an Israeli. Uh, Netanyahu worked out a deal. At the time, he was with the uh, Israeli embassy. He was, I think, number two in Washington at the embassy. And he worked out a deal letting Milchin off. So Milchin's uh, uh, got $4 billion now. He's making movies uh, left and right. He's one of the biggest uh, producers in Hollywood, but he's never been charged with uh, with any crimes relating to the um, uh, theft of this material. Just one or two more questions here. I, I don't want to... I don't want to uh, go over ancient history, but, uh, you know, I wanted to briefly talk about the Iraq war with you and um, whether you see it as uh, relevant to reexamine how we got into the Iraq war in the first place today, because you've written a whole book about that, A Pretext for War. And uh, there's also an Israeli connection uh, to the neocons that gave us that war. Could you uh, maybe just briefly speak to uh, your analysis of the, of the Iraq war and uh, maybe why it's important to look back on that analysis at the current moment. Yeah. Uh, you know, it all uh, started with 9-11 and within a day or I think that the very same day, September 11th, uh, the intelligence community was very convinced that uh, the person behind it was Osama bin Laden. Uh, who at the time was living in Afghanistan and Al-Qaeda, his uh, terrorist group. But um, there was these group, this group uh, known as neocons, neoconservatives, very conservative but very pro-Israel, who were um, adamant they had been pushing and pushing and pushing that the U.S. Uh, take action at some point. I mean, this is before 9-11. Uh, take action against uh, Iraq. Um, and uh, that was a position that the U uh, that Israel really wanted. The U.S. Uh, Israel wanted the U.S. to do something about Saddam Hussein. Um, well, 9/11 presented an excellent opportunity. So in instead of going after um, Al Qaeda and Bin Laden, uh, this group pushed the Pentagon uh, to start going after Iraq, which is what uh, led to the war in Iraq. I mean the um, the group that uh, Iraq had nothing to do with 9-11, but it was this group that pushed uh, the group of neocons that uh, pushed the uh, Pentagon and the White House. It didn't need much pushing. Uh, George Bush was very much in favor of the ne neocons anyway. Um, so um, that was how we got into the war in Iraq. Um, you know, ironically, you know, it was such a disastrous war. Um, and with... Uh, hundreds of thousands of innocent people killed, uh, in, including thousands of Americans. Uh, the British got involved in that, which uh, they regretted. And after the war, they spent a year looking into how this happened. How do we get involved in this and, and, and so forth? The U.S. hasn't spent one day looking into how we got involved in this. When Obama came into office, uh, there were a number of people that said, oh, we should have our own, uh, you know, investigation into how this all happened, this crazy war in Iraq. And uh, and but Obama was always afraid of controversy. So uh, he said, no, 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 we're not going to look back. We're just going to look forward. And and so we just 
you know, uh, turned a blind eye to all that. And that's what happens in the United States is that all these uh, insane wars take place. And then we never look into how they happened. And, that, and then we get into the next one, which is potentially what, what may happen now. I think your essential analysis on the Iraq war is that, you know, ultimately uh, these neocons use their positions to more or less manipulate the intelligence or the intelligence agencies to make it appear that Iraq had weapons of mass destructions when they absolutely didn't. Yeah, what uh, the, the CIA was actually coming out with information saying that there aren't any weapons in in uh, in in, uh, in Iraq. I, I mean, it's just it doesn't take a uh, uh, James Bond to figure this out. We have satellites that fly over the uh, fly over Iraq uh, every ninety minutes, and they can take uh, pictures of uh, of something on the ground, uh, small as a pie plate or whatever. Um, so we would be able to see if the Iraqis were building intercontinental ballistic missiles. And, and building a nuclear warhead is no use unless you have a delivery system, which is an ICBM. Um, well, we knew that they didn't have any ICBMs. So there was no logic, no countries ever built a warhead without having a delivery system. So if they didn't have a delivery system, the odds are they didn't have any nuclear weapons. Or if they did, how are they going to get them to the United States? Federal Express? I mean, uh, uh, so um, the intelligence community knew that the Iraqis did not possess weapons of mass destruction. But um, that was some of the information that was coming from the CIA. And so what the Bush administration did was tell the Pentagon to form their own little secret um, uh, intelligence organization uh, to come up with alternative intelligence. And that's what they did. And then they sent uh, this basically bogus intelligence to the White House saying, oh, yeah, they're, they've got all these uh, you know nuclear weapons. And then they had all these phony um, uh, sources, uh, human sources that were uh, lying to the intelligence community in order to get visas or money or, or, or whatever. Uh, and so it was a, a complete debacle. Uh, and as a result, lots of people were killed and we never looked back into how this happened, which is one of the reasons I wrote the uh, uh, the book um, um, about the uh, war, a pretext for war. One last question in that regard. I know uh, this has come up often when talking about neocons, um, the, the sort of connection to Israeli hardliners. Um, I think it's a difficult topic for people to grasp or talk about because uh, I don't think anyone wants to push a line that this is like some Jewish conspiracy. And I, I don't think it is. I think the neocons were, I, I would say, ideological fanatics that uh, sort of, uh, I, to me, they were kind of Likud supporting ideologues. It's not really a um, question of some conspiracy of, of Jewish people, but rather ideological hardliners that were supportive of Likud. Yeah, I mean, neoconservative is not, uh, doesn't say, that's a political term, it's not a religious term. So you had uh, uh, a wide assortment of people who were uh, hardline uh, evangelical Christians, Jewish, uh, uh, Protestants, you had a number of people that were uh, 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 neocons. Uh, the focus I put on it was on the the political aspect of it. You know, these were people that were very uh, uh, high up in politics, either in Congress or in uh, on these think tanks, these neocon think tanks, or in government. And they all got together uh, to come up with this phony, uh, uh, you know, this phony excuse for a war in 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 Iraq that Saddam supposedly had weapons of mass destruction, which. After the war, we figured out, oh, they didn't have weapons of mass destruction, but that was what the intelligence community, or at least the CIA, was saying beforehand. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it has nothing to do with religion, per se. It has to do with bogus politics and uh, terrible uh, uh, government. In closing, I guess what's important to really note here is that I think these activities that we've been talking about with regards to Israeli espionage, uh, 
they're harmful not only to Israel, but also the U.S. And, and maybe you could talk about the ways in which these sort of policies uh, and these actions, these Israeli espionage uh, incidents, have actually been harmful to both countries. Well, they're harmful to the United States because, you know, we have a government that we elect and uh, we're a democracy. We shouldn't have a foreign country coming into the United States secretly to manipulate the government and, and society. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's just sort of uh, common sense that you don't do that. Uh, and when you do find it, you prosecute the people. Uh, one aspect in the book was uh, where I wrote about Maria Butina, where they went after her. Uh, she was a Russian uh, uh, student in her 20s going to American University. And because of Russiagate, they needed to arrest a, a Russian and they arrested her under the uh, basically a phony uh, charge of being an agent of uh, the Russian government. Just like uh, after 9-11, they went after Muslims because that was the hot topic. And and later on, they went after a lot of Chinese scientists because that was the hot topic at the time. So, um, so they go after these people, but they've never, you know... <laughs> Israel comes in here and launches these uh, these uh, secret operations targeting Americans in the United States, and yet there's never any uh, repercussions uh, to the Israeli government for doing that. And as I said, uh, how would you say that this has been harmful to Israel? Because I know there's going to be some listeners that will say, oh, it, it sounds like Jim is uh, overstating the effect of uh, this Project Butterfly on the intelligence failure of October 7th. But I should note, you're not saying that's the only intelligence failure uh, or the only thing. No, I, I didn't say uh, the relationship here is the fact that there's no doubt. I mean, Netanyahu has admitted that they uh, they uh, uh, blew it when it came to October 7th. Um, the uh, uh, Israeli government was looking the other way. Uh, there's, I mean, there's no question about that. They're, they're admitting it. There's going to be this big investigation after this war is over. So uh, what I'm saying is that instead of focusing on Gaza, which is what they're, where they blew it, um, they were spending all this time, uh, they had this the, an entire ministry dedicated, the Ministry of Strategic Affairs dedicated to attacking the United States, uh, attacking uh, Americans in the United States, the pro-Palestinian groups, the BDS and so forth. And it went on for uh, uh, a you know, number of years. Uh, uh, so uh, had they taken that effort and focused on Gaza, they may not have had October 7th. Uh, so you have two things happening. You have a failure of intelligence with regard to uh, Gaza that led to October 7th, and you had a uh, uh, abusive intelligence operation that was targeting the United States at the same time that the uh, uh, Hamas was planning their October 7th uh, attacks. So that's the connection. The connection is the fact that, uh, you know, you you're, took your eye off the ball in terms of uh, Hamas, and uh, instead you were focusing uh, across the Atlantic on uh, on a country that is your friend, basically. So that's the irony here. Real quick, and I know this is not covered in the article, but do you think part of the intelligence failure was also, um, you know, the Israeli right uh, was very focused on the West Bank. Uh, and that seemed to take their eyes off Gaza. Uh, and also that was true of uh, pro-Israel elements in the U.S., such as Elliot Abrams, who uh, I believe 10 or 11 days before the October 7th attack uh, literally was at Congress uh, giving testimony saying that, you know, the problem with Hamas is going to come from uh, the West Bank. They're infiltrating the West Bank. Uh, and, you know, 10 days later, the attack comes from Gaza. There was this idea that uh, Gaza had been contained. You know, it wasn't really going to be a problem. Uh, and it seems like part of the intelligence failure was focusing so much of the security forces on the West Bank. Do you agree with that analysis? Yeah, the uh, 
that was where all, I I read three Israeli newspapers a day uh, because I cover that area a great deal. So that's where all the attention was. It was always focused on um, on the West Bank and the uh, problem with the settlers and and uh, the settlers uh, uh, shooting and and uh, attacking the, uh, the the Palestinians uh, in in the West Bank. And so there was uh, there was a number of uprisings in the West Bank, and that's where all the attention was. Uh, Hamas. Uh, as part of their plan, uh, kept very quiet, and there was this assumption that they had um, they had uh, decided that they were going to be basically good little uh, boys and uh, not cause any uh, problems. Um, what the Israelis didn't know was that they were communicating secretly. Uh, Israel was eavesdropping on a lot of their overt communications, in which they. Uh, emphasized that they were not making, they were not planning to make any trouble or anything. But the um, uh, Hamas, uh, what they did was they used these tunnels uh, to have meetings. They kept the uh, meetings almost exclusively with the military side of the organization and didn't let the political side of the organization know what was going on. And then when they did commute, <laughs> excuse me, when they did communicate, they used uh, hard lines, and the hard lines were in the tunnels. So you could communicate over a hard line where the hard line is buried in the tunnel um, without having the NSA um, or the uh, Israeli equivalent of the NSA uh, uh, uh uh, unit 8200 tap into that communication. So this this was all deceptive. It was a, you know, you could call it a brilliant plan. I mean, it worked. They they uh, broke down the barriers. They got out of uh, Gaza for two days, committed a, a number of horrible crimes and uh, uh, killings and so forth, and, and uh, uh, caught the Israelis completely by surprise. So um, from a, a, the viewpoint of a... Uh, uh, of a operational plan has succeeded. Yeah, I think that's very important to note that this was done very covertly because as you point out at the beginning of the article, you know, Gaza and its 2.3 million inhabitants are really under sort of a Orwell or Kafka situation where there's endless surveillance, uh, you know, they're trapped in, in fences and checkpoints. And really the, the way that Hamas was able to pull this off was they circumvented that by you know, working really secretively and covertly in these tunnels. Yeah, exactly. They they've had years to plan this, and and uh, Hamas was not going away. Their intention was always to uh, fight back, and they are. They're basically, uh, as many people have said, they're basically a uh, in a uh, trapped in a prison. Um, the they're blockaded uh, on all sides uh, on the on the uh, on the sea and on the land and uh, in the air so um, and they're constantly being um, uh, eavesdropped on by the Israeli unit 8200 and and um, they have a lot of uh, spies or moles uh, hidden in there with the within the Palestinian political organization and so forth. So they had to be very, very careful. And they, uh, like I said, they obviously succeeded because it, uh, uh, what happened on October 7th. I, I like how you refer to uh, the intelligence failures, you know, you could call it all quiet on the Gaza front. Yeah. Well, it, it struck me right away when I was uh, uh, doing research into it, uh, uh, having, seen the movie and uh, i think i read the book a long time ago also uh it, it uh it struck me that you know uh, uh it had similarities to the world war one all quiet on the western front you know one thing i i think is important and i i promise to let you go after this but um you know i i think there's a proliferation right now of conspiracy theories about october 7th and i think people um are really going down the wrong path with that in a lot of ways. I think there's this assumption 
that Israeli intelligence is invincible. Uh, you know, and I think people should keep in mind, it's really not, this is not the first intelligence failure that Israel has had. Uh, could you comment on that? Because I, I think it's important to maybe push back on this idea that uh, Israel, you know, made it happen or let it happen and, and the conspiracy theories of that nature. Yeah, I mean, Israel, uh, the irony here is that this attack happened uh, basically almost on the day, 50 years after their previous intelligence failure, which was the, uh, um, uh, I forgot the name of it, uh, the, the name of their, uh, the, uh, the war, but there was a war that broke out because uh, Egypt and uh, was able to do a surprise attack on on Israel across the in the Sinai and so forth. The, the Yom Kippur War, right? Yom Kippur War, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so the irony that I was reading articles about uh, this is the I mean before September before October seventh, I was reading articles about oh this is the fiftieth anniversary of the Yom Kippur War where Israel was caught. By surprise, uh, uh, terrible, terrible, terrible! It should never happen again. And here, uh, almost on the day, fifty years later, it happens again. So, um, I mean, those are two spectacular intelligence failures. But they've had other intelligence failures along the way that don't get quite the uh, attention. What do you hope my listeners get out of this conversation we've been having for the past forty or so minutes, and also your book? Uh, spy Phil, what, what do you want my listeners to take away from this? What do you think they should be paying attention to right now? Well, uh, in this conversation, it should be taken away the fact that uh, you have a foreign government coming into the United States secretly and uh, uh, enacting uh, covert operations against American citizens, and that we have a response from that. Or we, we have a we have an alternative to that, and that is to arrest people by the FBI. They arrest people all, all the time for all kinds of things. Uh, and uh, that there should be no immunity because it happens to be Israel. Um, and uh, people uh, want to uh, uh, affect the change. They should uh, protest and, and tell the government that... Uh, uh, stop Israeli spying in the United States, and the one way to stop them is by arresting them when they do it. Or, I mean, you know, there's no statute of limitations on some of this. I'm, the things that I've talked about here, people can actually be arrested for. So, um, uh, you know, this is not a done deal just because it happened a few years ago. You can go back and arrest people, uh, and and all the things I'm talking about here again were were things that appeared in major. Uh, media. They appeared in the largest newspaper in Israel, and they appeared in the New Yorker, and they appeared in other places. Uh, uh, the the uh, Forward magazine, which is uh, the, uh, uh, you know, the one of the most prolific magazines within the world of the Jewish community. So uh, these, these things that I'm talking about here uh, aren't part of my own uh, investigation. I'm just saying these are the things that have happened that have been reported and yet you do the FBI does nothing about it and the mainstream media doesn't pick it up I mean I'm sure they could read uh, the New Yorker and they could read uh, the uh, uh, the forward and they could read uh, Haratz uh, but you never see it in the New York Times or the Washington Post I, I also wanted to ask um you know I know there's going to be people that hear this and will just I, I think unfairly, uh, just start crying anti-Semitism. How do you respond to the people that seem to take any criticism of Israel or Israel's um, operations uh, in both its own land and with these covert operations in the U.S.? How do you respond to people that just yell anti-Semitism the second we bring these topics up? Well, I just ignore them. I mean, they're they're out there. They're crazy. They're you know they have nothing else to do. They 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 have this weird sense of. Uh, uh, of uh, uh, you know, this they don't understand the meaning of the word. First of all, Israel is a country. Israel is not a religion. Israel is a country. We don't have religions in the uh, United Nations. We have countries. Um, you know, um, 
you can criticize Israel without being anti-Semitic. If I criticize Russia, I'm not being anti-Orthodox uh, uh, Christian. I mean, you know, this is insane, uh, but I just ignore them because they're lunatics. Uh. Well, hey, James Bamford, I want to thank you again so much for coming on uh, Parallax Views. This is your second appearance with us. Last time we talked about Spyfill, and I hope listeners will check out that interview. Uh, thank you again so much. No, I appreciate it. Well, great being on your show again. Thanks again. Take care. Well, that does it for this edition of Parallax Views. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with James Bamford, and you'll check out his book, Spy Fail. As always, if you appreciate the work here I do at Parallax Views, please consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com slash parallaxviews. One more time, that's patreon.com slash parallaxviews. I need your help to keep this show going. Your support is what will keep me churning out this content that I hope you find informative and educational. And with that being said, until next time, you've been listening to Parallax Views with Parallax Views to Parallax Views with The way out is not simply to say don't do it, just to prohibit. It's nothing else. If we don't do it, others will be doing it like great. So, you know, we have to confront the problem. But no, basically, basically, I'm, I know of the great anxiety problems, new forms of control, but it's also new forms of freedom. This is why I always emphasize that uh, uh, internet and all this new digital stuff, it's a very ambiguous phenomenon, but it's the field of struggle. New forms of enslavement, but at the same time, new incredible forms of freedom. We have to accept the fight with no nostalgia for old, allegedly more authentic communities or whatever. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.